Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the Finest Service Organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and this is my first interview of 2022. I know it's not the first episode of 2022, but my first interview, and I'm really excited to kick off 2022 with a a really interesting guest. His name is Glenn Williams. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. He he has spent over 26 years in law enforcement working as a patrol officer, detective, and trainer at the Sandy City Police and the Utah Transit Authority Police. I didn't even know Utah Transit had police, but apparently they do. Uh, He has conducted training throughout the United States for law enforcement and evidence diving. Very interesting. Underwater post-blast investigation firearms, patrol rifle, active shooter response, which God knows we need today, unfortunately, and first aid and CPR. Uh, Most importantly, which is one of the main areas I want to dig in with Glenn, is he is the author of Bridging the Gap, an inside look at communications and relationships after traumatic events uh, to assist reducing PTSD, divorce, and suicide, and I think that that's outstanding. I understand the book came out very recently. Uh, I can go on and on, but Glenn, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate being here. (laughs) Not as much as I appreciate having you, and I love what you're doing with the book. Um, As we kind of talked a little bit off camera, uh, I'm really pleased to see the direction we're going with law enforcement and first responders, as you had mentioned in an email to me that it's it's okay to not be okay. Um, so you know, let's dig into that. You know, you authored Bridging the Gap. You know, what exactly is that gap and what is the bridge? Let's let's dig into those two pieces first. The, the gap is the things that we have created in our relationships. I don't know about... Um, well, I'd say probably about 80% of the officers that I've run into did the same thing I did. We put the job first, the job became our life. And that created walls, couldn't talk to our spouse, we couldn't share because it's an ongoing investigation, or it's just something we didn't want to share because we see things that people don't normally see and don't want to see. And we don't share those things. And that creates a brick in the wall. Um, I did that. I'm a slow learner. I actually did it twice. And I ended up divorced twice because I quit sharing. I quit talking and I didn't feel comfortable. And that's the gap we've created. We've talked about communities. How many communities do we belong to in our lives? We've got our family, work, our sports communities, our churches, all these different. And which one's the most important? Most people say family. Mm-hmm. And I call bullshit on that. Because if it's so important, why is suicide rate and divorce rate so high? Correct. And that's one of the things I finally came to after my second divorce. I lived up in my cabin by myself for three years. And I was sitting there one morning. All of a sudden, I woke up and I started writing. I'd been talking to a counselor friend of mine about putting a class together for law enforcement to help reduce those things. And I started writing and I wrote for four hours. I didn't even know what I wrote. And I looked at it later and I showed it to my counselor friend and she says, oh, there's your class. You're 60% done. 
and I put together my class and I travel around and I teach now to police departments on communication relations. And out of that came my book, which is basically the outline, an outline for my class with a lot more stories. Um, but that's uh, the things that created trauma in my life. And I realized I'm really no different than anybody else. You know, I wasn't a special uh, team member with an FBI task force or anything like that. I just normal everyday cop. But guess what? I see shit. Yeah. And those things stick with us. And I got to the point where I was having, oh, three or four nightmares a month. And, you know, after going through some of the things I've gone through and expanding the little box that I belonged in and making a lot bigger box and trying things I never thought I'd ever try, I'm down to one or two nightmares a year now. Yeah. And we get to deal with this stuff. And that's what my book and my class are about is how to deal with these things. Yeah. I hope you eventually get to zero nightmares a year. Uh, (laughs) At least related to any trauma that you're dealing with, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, while I've had the privilege to talk to a number of first responders, especially law enforcement professionals that, you know, have gone through some pretty heavy trauma, whether it's cumulative, a, a lot of little bad things over a course of a long time, um, or one really, really traumatic event, um, my mind goes to uh, uh, Scott and Liz Brown, who was Scott's partner got killed right in front of him uh seven years ago eight years ago yeah so i i I can only vicariously uh, imagine what that is like to have to carry that along and i'm really pleased that now it seems like we have a number of forums where you where law enforcement professionals can reach out with without that stigma um, you, you kind of alluded to it, and I remember reading this, I believe it was in the uh, description for your book, and I've heard this from a number, number of other public safety professionals, you get into the job and you're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and like, hey, I'm going to save the world, I'm going to do all these good things, and then at some point, you know, you get into, uh, you get into that grizzled person that you didn't ever think you would be. Yeah, I'm interested, you know, how does that transition take place? Does it happen overnight? Yeah, does it happen over years? And and also, you know, did you wake up one morning and say, hey, I've I've become that guy? You know, how does that transition take place? And how can you notice that? That's an interesting thing. I think in most cases, it takes place rather slowly. In fact, so slowly, you don't realize it's happening. And as, as you see more and more, you start distrusting people. I, I'm fortunate that I still believe the majority of people are good. And majority of people actually back law enforcement. It's just the vocal, very vocal minority that doesn't, but they're creating a storm. Um, and since I've kind of gone through some things that I went through to change me, because I had to change me, I can't change anybody else. Correct. And I changed the way I looked at things and I changed me. Uh, I realized that even to this day, the majority of people are good. And I'm fortunate to live in an area where we, for the most part, get support. But again, that that vocal minority changes that. Um, I know in my case, I started off early. um, And the funny thing was, I wasn't distrusting people. And I wasn't distrusting the job. It was my field training officers that I didn't trust. Um, Because my first field training, I'll be honest, I failed. And there were some things that happened that were so egregious 
that the chief said, wait a moment, uh -uh, we're not failing you. Because mm -hmm. I, I remember walking into his office one day and going, I guess I'm out of a job, huh? And he, he said, let's talk about that. And he asked me some questions and he said, no, you're not out of a job. We're, we're going to redo some things here. And the training officer that I was assigned to got removed from the training program after that. Mm -hmm. And that was traumatic as all get out. Cause I'm thinking I'm out of a job. How am I going to support sure. my family? I mean, I'm, I'm just a young, I'm not a young kid. Cause I was 32 when I became an officer, but I, uh, I was stressing like crazy and that's how it started. Well, the chief worked with me. We worked through some things. I got things taken care of. And the next time they wanted to accelerate me because I did so well. Um, but because of the first time they wouldn't let me accelerate through um, liability and all that. And I get sure. it. So I continued on, but then after that, I had a great few years as an officer and um, it was, you know, in fact, I made detective my third year, which, is kind of unheard of yeah. and i'll be honest looking back was way too early for me because <laughs> there were some difficulties i could have easily avoided if i had a clue sure sure yeah you know i i hear you on the concept that the the jadedness if that's even a word you know it happens slowly i i liken it to throwing a frog in a cold or somewhat warm pot of water and then slowly turning up the the heat the the frog doesn't realize it until it's too late and i and i think that that may be an unfortunate aspect for a lot of our first responders out there yeah um it's it, it just this that you see enough and you take that edge off and you see enough and that edge is just a little more taken off see a little more and then pretty soon there's no edge and you're you're gone yeah yeah going back to yeah, i i want to hit on this concept of it's okay to not be okay I, i'm seeing that a lot now uh, not just in law enforcement but society in general um, and I appreciate that, you know, truth be told, you know, um, I'm an alcoholic, almost two years sober. So I understand the, it's okay to not be okay, but I also, it maybe it's my cynicism. Maybe I'm jaded. Uh, I also fear that as often happens in society, the pendulum swings all the way to the other side, you know, where there's always you know, a reason and logic somewhere in the middle. And what I don't want to get to is a society and especially a whole group of law enforcement professionals that say, uh, it's okay to not be okay, and I'm not okay. And that's just where I'm at. Yeah, you know, when, when you realize, okay, I'm not okay, yeah, it's my belief, and I want your opinion on this, that you have to take action, whatever that action is, that you know, it's, not, it's not enough to just say, I'm not okay, and, and sit there, uh, that you have to take some type of action. Your opinion on that, when you realize you're, you're not okay, you know, whether it's early in the job, or maybe, unfortunately, as you experience in that second divorce, yeah, I'm not okay, yeah, what is that next step possibly? there's so many variables there. That's part of the problem, yeah. but it's okay to not be okay. You're admitting you've learned you're not okay. Now you got to deal with it. I agree with you there hundred percent. If, cause if we don't deal with it, then we're sending traumatized people out to deal with citizens in trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's a lose, lose situation. Sure. So how do you deal with it? 
it's time to get back to business in person. And if you run a for-profit or non-for-profit business that serves first responders, the Public Safety Business Summit is for you. The Public Safety Business Summit is a highly interactive event that is being brought to you by the POCUA in Savannah, Georgia from March 27th to the 29th, 2022. What you will find there is a wealth of networking and co-learning opportunities among like-minded professionals serving first responders. What you won't find is a series of boring speakers skilled only in the art of death by PowerPoint. In fact, there will be no speakers at all just highly interactive panel discussions and deep dive small group conversations on topics that are relevant to growing your unique business. Learn more about the Public Safety Business Summit at policecreditunions.com slash 2022-conference. That's policecreditunions.com slash 2022-conference. Or call 331 300 9889 to register. We look forward to welcoming you to Savannah in March. Back in the day, we didn't have peer support teams. They'd never even heard of those things. They have peer support teams now on most departments that I visited. Um, it's okay to go get um, EAP counseling, get that for free, and it's confidential. Um, it's okay to talk to one of your buddies that's been through something similar that gets it. And we've got to open that communication, just open, honest communication. And that open, honest communication starts with ourselves. I'm not okay. So what am I going to do about it? And now we come up. I mean, there's so many counseling services out there now. They're um, 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of just off the top of my head, three or four, and I have some listed in my book and I've discovered some since I wrote, my book was published and you know, that's, those are resources that we can use. Hey, how about this? Try something outside the box. Um, again, years ago, when I heard the, uh, have you ever heard of Tibetan bowls? No, I can't say that I have, but I bet yeah, you I'm going to hear about them now. You are. Um, <laughs> or singing bowls is what they're called. They're kind of a metal. They're made in Tibet and somebody that's trained will rub them. And they make a tone and a vibration. And I'll tell you what, um, you want to go into meditation. Meditation's huge. In fact, I ask guys in my class, how many of you meditate? And nobody will raise their hand. And then I tell them they're a bunch of liars because how many of you do combat breathing? Yeah. And they all raise their hand. Okay. That's a form of meditation, guys. Getting that heart rate down, getting things calmed. And it's okay to call it combat breathing, but don't call it meditation, heaven forbid. Yeah. Um, but the Tibetan bowls do this tone and they'll put you almost in a trance which yeah. is a nice calming effect. Um, you know, that's one of those things outside the box that I tried. And I, it's amazing. I still do it to this day. Luckily, I don't have nearly as much stress as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> that's what retirement, retirement does for you, Glenn. <laughs> yep, retirement's good. Um, so, yeah, we get to try those things. I'm talk. The biggest thing is communicate. And make sure and keep the communication open and honest with whoever it is you're talking to. And again, there's counselors, there's therapists. Um, how about your spouse? And you know, that's one thing I shut down twice on two yeah. spouses is because I didn't want them to be scared. I didn't want them to worry about me when I was at yeah. work. I didn't share things that um, I knew would uh, make them a little upset. And what I that three years up the cabin, I taught myself how to take a traumatic event how to rephrase 
least can safely share it with my spouse. And my wife now, she knows everything, everything that's ever happened to me. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's just an amazing feeling to have that openness. And yeah. uh, that's what it takes to maintain that relationship. So guys, if you don't want to get divorced, get my book or get, <laughs> my, get me out to your apartment and I'll come teach you guys about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great points. It, it somewhat reminds me of a colleague and friend of mine, um, Sean Douglas, who uh, I wrote a book with and he um, has been a guest on this show. He's a former military and, and a uh, suicide survivor. And, and one of the things that, that he always mentions is, is reach out to somebody. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be suicide. You don't have to be like my friend Sean, have a bottle of Jack Daniels and a loaded firearm next to you. It doesn't have to be at that point. Um, and I think, too, yeah, I, I do agree with you that it's important to to connect with your spouse. Um I am very, very blessed that, that I'm very well connected with my spouse. Just celebrated my 10-year wedding anniversary. I've been married for 25 mm -hmm. years, just not to the same person. Uh, but <laughs> 10 years straight to the one now. So <laughs> congratulations to me. But my point is, is that sometimes, especially on smaller things, um, I find, and I think this is good for the audience to hear, is I have some of the same concern that, that you just mentioned, which is I don't want to worry my spouse. Um, but that doesn't lead me to inaction. Yeah, sometimes what I'll do is I'll say, you know what? I, I, I do need to speak to somebody. I don't want to worry my spouse, but I'm going to take action in another way. And then on the back end say, you know what? I was dealing with this this is how I, I took care of it. This is what I want to share with you. So for those folks, you know, sometimes for whatever reason, if you don't feel like, you know, not keeping anything away from your spouse, but you want to, you know, not worry your partner right at first, you know, take action someplace else, call a 24 seven hotline, talk to your buddy, you know, talk to somebody that, you know, has, has gone through it before. You know, that's what Sean did. Fortunately, you know, he didn't pick up the firearm. He reached out to somebody and that changed his entire life. So I, I think the point that that I really want to make is reach out to somebody. Does, does that make sense, Glenn, or am I completely oh. off base? No, you are dead on. Dead on. And that's it's critical that we do that. Um, like you, when I went up to my cabin, well, I don't know about you, but my... I don't have a cabin, cabin, but yeah. <laughs> I <limited laughs> well, I got lucky and had that in the second time because yeah. <laughs> I had nothing after the first one. <laughs> I but, hear you. <laughs> um, I actually started, I started drinking. Yeah. And that's a big sign of something's not going right. I limited it to two drinks a night, but they were 32 hours each. Yeah. So, yeah, I was feeling no pain and sleeping well. And I had, I was up there by myself. The only people I heard from was my family. I had, you know, I lost pretty much for that experience. I pretty much cut all the friends, so-called friends that I had out because they weren't there. And, you know, it was just kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, you got to have somebody to talk to and that is critical. And that's why I talk about open, honest communication, not only with yourself, 
but with a significant other, with a friend, with somebody. And, and that's the key is just talking with somebody. That's good that you limited it to two drinks. I limited it to uh, two bottles of wine or one bottle of vodka. So, you know, you were ahead of me on that one um, oh, per hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I had to go to work next day. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, uh, yeah let's, we'll, we'll talk another time about going to work hungover. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> be, be that as it may, I, I want to talk about red flags. But um, before I get to that, you know, we it's it's not often that we have an individual like yourself that did, you know, evidence diving, uh, as you put here, underwater post blast investigation. Uh, is there a lot of diving in Utah? Is there a lot, <laughs> a lot of bodies of water where we got to go look for evidence? Not a lot. Um you know, we became specialists in the Jordan River. It's a river that runs up through the whole valley all the way up to Salt Lake, and we became specialists in that. And it's a dank, dark, nasty. Um, I would never go in it unless I was being paid. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can see even, that that's probably where a lot of this trauma that we talk about came with. You needed to stay away from that river. <laughs> that's yeah. Unfortunately, we kind of became the experts there, and. Uh, and uh yeah it was crazy um you know we, we had one time finding for salt lake city pd they were looking for a murder weapon mm-hmm. and we got in and we found the weapon but in that search we also found another weapon <laughs> that was tied to a cold case homicide yeah. and we also found a third weapon they didn't like us much after that day because <laughs> they got a lot of extra work <laughs> but, yeah you know, it's funny that people think you throw something in the water, it's gone. And it, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, as uh, some of our audience knows, I cover uh, true crime for podcast magazine. And I, I, I see, you know, some, some, some of these criminals are actually clever, but many of them, I sit there and listen to these stories on podcasts. Like, you know, you, you don't know about cell phone pings. You don't know that there's a camera everywhere. And you know what? You know, even in the water, they find all kinds of stuff. So, <laughs> And you can actually even recover fingerprints sometimes from things that were in the water. Interesting. If it's done properly. Interesting. See, I learned something today. <laughs> so those folks out there, if you're going to commit a crime, don't throw it in the water. They can find your fingerprints on that, too. <laughs> so interesting. Getting back to the book uh, and the subject at hand, um, what are some of the red flags that you know, as you know, I'm, I'm hoping that you know, we, we get past some of this negativity in society and we have a clear boom uh, of great young professionals going into to law enforcement um, in the very near future. And God bless them that they will probably have more resources for their mental and emotional health today um, than a lot of our folks, you know, 10, 20, even, you know, especially 30, 40 years ago. But, you know, what are some of the red flags, warning signs that you would suggest to them as they start their career that they should really be looking out for? If, if they question it, you know, when I was a new officer, I trusted my my gut, for lack of a better term. 
And I think it's inspiration. Um, I think it goes back to a higher being, whatever it is you believe in mm-hmm. or don't. And I know that my life has been saved a couple of times because it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, so some of the things that I see are shutting down. If you, as you shut down and you quit talking, you start to have, um, there's might have little outbursts of anger, just quick, like a flash. And then you go, oh, okay. And back off. But that's a sign. Mm-hmm. alcohol, huge sign, um, guys that have been injured, prescription meds and getting into the addictive behaviors. Um, another sign, um, there, there's so many and everybody's so different that it's hard to give. Yeah. I can't yeah. give them all, but those are some easy major ones. Um, I'll tell you right now, one sign, and I didn't realize I was doing it was I was avoiding the issues by working. Mm-hmm. I worked overtime. I worked three part-time jobs to make the money my family needed. That's why I started. But then all of a sudden it became, I've got to get out of here. I'm going to work. I'm mm-hmm. going to work and using work as an escape. And that, that took me, in fact, I didn't even realize it until after I retired. And then I got looking and studying and s- somehow becoming sort of an expert on this stuff. And I look back and went, huh. you know, what I'm looking at was the Vietnam vets. They came back and now they went to work and they kept themselves so busy. They didn't have to think about the stuff. Now they're all retiring and PTSD is kicking their butts hard now Mm -hmm. because now they have time to think about it. And that's what I was doing was avoiding thinking about stuff by going, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, So that's, that's a huge sign in my opinion, but how many guys do it? Um, Every every cop I've ever met had at least one or two part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. that's uh, avoiding the relationship issues avoiding the trauma and stress issues that's all it is yeah. um and it doesn't work it just delays it. it doesn't it doesn't work yeah yeah it's great points you know it's um not to play my whole movies for the show in our, our audience but i i think it if it if it helps one person then it's worth it yeah, I, I realized quickly after I really became sober, I became, there was a clarity, there was some awareness. And fortunately, I began, you know, it's, it's while well, even, you know, as you know, probably as well as I do, you know, just because you stop a behavior, it doesn't necessarily flip a switch. Oh, everything's great now. Um, you know, you're you're still you're still angry. You're still upset. You still have problems that you're dealing with. Um, you know, in some ways, maybe even more so after you stop, you know, working or drinking or doing whatever. But I remember, you know, having some clarity at times where I would get angry. And before the anger would just let me just say, screw it, you know, I'm going to the bar. Uh, but I couldn't do that anymore. So it came to my mind. It's like, all right, well, I'm angry. Why am I angry? What am I really angry about? And I think that you know, as much like your Vietnam vet example, uh, also your example of, of diving into work, I think that for our audience, for folks that going back to the question of what are the red flags of just stopping and stepping back for just one minute and asking the why, 
Yeah, some some sometimes, you know, maybe maybe you get a legitimate, well, you know, I need to do this for my family and I'm clear on that and everything's okay. But asking that why, uh, you know, may may give you some some clarity that you need at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna offer my opinion right now. Please make sure and put your family first. Yeah. And your kids especially. Um, I, I withdrew. I luckily, I, I got lucky and was able to rebuild my relationships with my kids. Um, they never got way bad, but they were bad. And it was on my part yeah. because I was so focused on work, you know, making the difference. Well, how about making a difference in my own life and my own family's life yeah. and not creating that division. So I'm just counsel the guys now, if they start shutting down and not talking to their family and they not spending time with them, man, you got to do something different. Yeah. It, and it's huge. So my two cents worth is about yeah. all it's worth. Yeah. But. Definitely worth more than two cents. I think that circles back to, you know, talk to somebody, um, you know, maybe it's not a spouse, maybe it's not, you know, your kids, maybe it's your partner, maybe it's a stranger um, that is an EAP or, or something like serve and protect, which is 24 seven hotline. Somebody, um, that is trained to understand or somebody that you know will will get it and not be sitting there in judgment that that may change a lot of things um, we may have already covered this but I think that it it bears to ask um, what do you hope readers will take away from your book after hopefully reading, don't just buy it and put it on the shelf, buy it and read it. You know, after they read it, is there like a number one thing? It's like, you know, if you could take this away, you know, the reading the book will be more than worth it. If my, I'm not done making a difference in life. And if I can sure. assist one person, in not doing the same stupid stuff that I did and having a better life, I still win. That's the way I look at it. Um, because what we do is we start a ripple effect, one person, and then that goes to another and another, and pretty soon the whole pond's covered, uh, or maybe in a few years or decades, whatever. But it's the move, movement started. Um, out of my book, the things that I feel are important, number one, get outside your box. I didn't realize how tiny a box we built around us in law enforcement. I think that's one of the problems we're having with society now. Um, anyway, think outside the box and expand your box. Try things you've never tried before um, that only will allow you to be in more touch with more people, different kinds of people, different types. Um, the biggest thing in, out of my book is the communication aspect. You've got to talk. Um, but in doing so, you have to be utterly and absolutely self-accountable and honest with yourself. Because um, that's the only thing we can change. I can't, you know, I could blame my first two divorces on things that my ex-wives did very easily. And they were heavy contributors. But then there was only one common factor. That was me. Yeah. And so I got to look at what I did. And that's where we start. And that's where the change begins. Um, like say open, honest communication, think outside the box and, and the, those are probably two, the two big ones. And then don't be afraid to talk to somebody. That's the, the hugest one. Cause yeah. I, I actually feel we should reach out to people in the Academy. And I, I remember back when I was in the Academy, we had a two hour session with our spouses. Yeah. 
And they brought us in and they said, well, you know, there's going to be things you're not going to want to talk about, things you see that you don't want to share, things that you can't share because of ongoing investigation. But keep your communication with your spouse open that way because the divorce rate's really high. They never told us how. Yeah. We're sitting there going, wow, that was a waste of two hours. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I actually started reaching out to um, training for uh, new officers, um, police academies, because I can put together an eight-hour course and I can tell them how. I learned that. I figured that out. And it actually goes right along with what we do in police work. So. Yeah, our, my, uh, my colleagues and friends at How to Love Our Cops, which are mostly uh, law enforcement wives, although we fortunately have other law enforcement husbands and partners in, in that particular group, uh, often say that, that they're the front lines for their first responder. Uh, that they need to 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 be aware of of what's happening with with their spouse or partner. Um, and one of the things that that Vicky Newman said, which I think was right on point and aligns with what uh, you were saying in terms of sharing, is that you know maybe you don't come home and necessarily. Uh, tell a 60 minute story about, you know, how you had to cover a, uh, a terrible automobile accident and um, a little girl that looks just like and is the same age as your daughter was was in that crash, you know, maybe you maybe you don't need to share all of that all at once. But letting the spouse in on, I had to deal with this today. You know, it's not about you. I just, I just need a little space because what that does for most wives, husbands, partners say, all right, I, I get it. You know, let me know what you need. Um, and, and then they at least know, cause I know a lot of spouses, especially wives will be worried. Well, did I do something? Why are you upset? Did I screw up? And why, why are you upset at me? And then it winds up and I, know this from my first marriage it it goes into a snowball effect of crap that you just don't necessarily want to go down but but letting them in on at least a little bit i think is is a plus you would know better than than i would but i think that that's a solution actually i think we know about the same because we've been through it both and i actually taught a um, class to a uh, fop spouses group auxiliary and in talking with them, the one thing that they said was, um, I know when he's, they know when we're not sharing, they sure. know it's not right. And they said, I know when it's not right. And sometimes I, their mind goes to a lot of them said, well, I don't know if he's had a bad day at work. I don't know if something happened that he did or somebody did to him. I don't know if he's having an affair. I don't know what's going on. And so the internal, the mind goes to those fearful places and yeah. And that's huge. So a lot of them go there, then those create other problems that build on each other. So by not sharing, we put one brick in, but then the worries build another brick. And then pretty soon we've got that whole damn wall built. Mm-hmm. And um, just by not sharing, um, like say, uh, there's ways you, we can do it safely. Uh, actually, <laughs> my uh, uncle was a psychiatrist at Rutgers University, and he mm-hmm. worked with NYPD after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I had him sit through my class one day when I was teaching in Colorado. And he, he looked at me and he says, very, very good. He said, that's exactly what I would have done. And he's the smartest guy I know on this earth. 
so I, I kind of went, okay, we got this. And I, my process was correct. And, you know, I was very validating myself because um, we have those self-doubts. Yeah. And those are things that we don't want to share with our spouses. We have those self-doubts. No, she's going to get worried. No, what's going to happen here? Well, there's ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And if you went to Rutgers, he's got to be smart, you know, probably <laughs> almost as smart as if you went to DePaul. <laughs> Sorry. Shout out to my alma mater out there. Uh, <laughs> last question uh, in, in definitely an important one for our audience out there. How best can they find you? How can they find a, a Glenn Williams? How can they find bridging the gap and inside look at communications and relationships after traumatic events? Yeah. You know, if they want you to speak there, they just want to read your book. How best can they find your materials out there? They can order the book on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Perfect. Um, and they'll deliver it to you, take care of everything there. If they want me um, to come teach and I would love to do that because I'm not busy enough. Uh, COVID kind of killed me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but I, I've taught in Idaho, Utah, Colorado, Indiana, Illinois. Um, I can't, there are a couple other, few other places. Um, so I've, I've been getting around slowly but surely. Um, you can um, email me at info, I-N-F-O, at glennwilliamspublicspeaker.com. Great stuff. Great input here on what to do today if you're dealing with some of these issues definitely go out and find glenn either grab a copy of the book uh, if you have an upcoming conference uh no better way than to have somebody that's gone through this it is a former police officer to talk about these things um thank you for for your service in law enforcement and and thank you for everything that you're doing today glenn Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. And hey, we're not done yet. <laughs> exactly. We we got a we got a lot of work to do in 2022 and beyond. Yeah. Thank you again for being an awesome guest. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back with you next week with another great guest. Public Safety Talk Radio was produced by the POC Way. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.